Bitcoin Geek Conversations. An earful of Bitcoin and blockchain. Welcome to Coin Geek Conversations. My special guest this week is the very successful businessman Calvin Eyre, owner of Coin Geek, among other things. So, full disclosure, I kind of work for him. <laughs> so, I'm going to be on my very best behavior today while still asking the questions I want to ask, and he hasn't asked me what they're going to be. So, thanks for doing this, Calvin. Welcome. Happy to be here. Well, so we're here to talk about the Bitcoin related parts of your business. You've also got interest in other kinds of business. Um, but in relation to Bitcoin SV in particular, uh, which CoinGeek supports, can you just give us an outline of what your business involvement is with, with Bitcoin SV? Well, we're major miners. We're one of the largest miners in the world of the SV uh, branch of the uh, original Bitcoin chain. And of course, as everybody now should know because of how much we've been talking about it, uh, it's the only branch of the original blockchain that follows the original white paper, and hence it's called the Satoshi Vision. So um, according to Craig, who was the sort of uh, chief architect of the team. Craig Wright. Craig Wright, yes, Dr. Craig Wright. According to him, and he was the chief architect of, uh, of that team that created the original Bitcoin, it's in, in fact the only one that actually is still Bitcoin. The rest of them all have forked off into some other type of technology and, and economic models. But uh, yeah, so... So in we, addition we, to we, the mining, what... what we, are... we support the mining. We're major miners, and we are there to make sure that the chain is secure. Uh, we have a, a venture capital branch, so we invest in the ecosystem. We've got a number of investments. We just announced one uh, um, earlier this week, Drive, or last week, I guess, Drive, which is a, uh, it's a, a, an exchange and payment platform, and it's going to be managed right on top of the Bitcoin SV blockchain, which is unique in its ability to do that because of its ability to massively scale. And uh, we've got more of those coming. We're going to be announcing one uh, later this week, in fact, in the gaming space. And not uh, gambling gaming, but actual game, multiplayer games, gaming mm -hmm. esports. All right, yeah. And, of course, the media branch, which is where, where we are today. Mm -hmm. I'm doing an interview Going with geek. it right now. And we've got a couple of other areas where we're involved, not really from a business perspective, but more from a... Um, sort of like uh, health of the ecosystem perspective. Like we're big major sponsors of the um, Bitcoin Association, uh, named because, and it only is involved in the uh, Bitcoin SV ecosystem because that's the only one that's really Bitcoin. And of course our conference, which is part of the media group, which is coming up in a month now. And it's going to be in Toronto and it'll be the end of May. And uh, it'll be about scaling on blockchain and all the world's experts in scaling on blockchains will be there. And what about your involvement with Enchain and Craig? Yeah. Well, Craig and I are friends, personal friends. We met in 2015. We've got mutual friends. Uh, one of my friends, actually, that I've known for a long time, Stefan Matthews, and Craig were working together in the gaming industry, which is Craig's background as well. well one of Craig's backgrounds. He's got a lot of background. Mm -hmm. uh, so my friend Stefan was working with him when he invented Bitcoin. And so um, I was introduced to Craig in 2015. We've become friends. I buy into his vision and I support the Bitcoin uh, economic model and, and his Satoshi vision. <clears throat> and Chain, of course, is uh, one of the most prolific idea generators and patenters of technology applications on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. 
in the world today, and uh, they work closely with CoinGeek, and we're sort of the two driving forces between behind proving Craig's vision actually works. So now I've seen you talk about creating a, a sort of payment platform for the whole world. That's the the big vision, I guess. Um, what what would that look like if, when we get there? Where where what, what's the promised land going to be like? Well. Back to Dr. Wright again. Uh, I mean, I follow his vision of where this can go and, and his MetaNet vision in particular, which is much more than just a payment platform. It's about uh, basically MetaNet being the Internet of the future where we have actually can uh, commercialize and uh, put a value to the data that flows around the world on the Internet today. And so this is much bigger than just payments, but if we're talking just about payments, I mean, what would be nice is for people to be able to seamlessly and, and, and frictionlessly, with you know, relatively no cost, send payments anywhere they want, anywhere in the world, and, and online or offline. And we think that's possible with Bitcoin SV, but to do that, you need to massively scale. And today, only one uh, blockchain platform massively scales already, original Bitcoin SV, and has a roadmap to massively massive <laughs> scaling in the near future. We're talking within the next couple of years. So when you talk about scaling, you mean lots and lots of transactions the ability to very do quickly, right? Massive amount of transactions quickly and frictionlessly, which means low cost. Right. In that world where it's all working the way you want, is there going to be a problem for governments in raising taxes and controlling their local, their national economies, do you think? No. Uh, I, I, to the contrary, I, I believe what will happen is that uh, more and more governments will get educated to the fact that uh, the, this blockchain will allow them to actually do their work and offer their services to their, to their uh, citizens more economically. Uh, the classic example I like to pull out is we can have point-of-sale taxation. So the whole issue of collecting taxes after the fact disappears. Because when you're talking about programmable money, like, like Bitcoin SV is, then the taxes can be sent to the government at, at the point of the transaction, and the, the government doesn't have to worry about anything. Right, so and it's that, automatic tax yeah, collecting. Yeah, one area where yeah. the government can either uh, save money, improve services, or improve transparency and audibility of civil servants, and, and citizens and democracies in particular, I know... <laughs> In uh, dictatorships or other forms of government, it's less of an issue. But in democracies, where the citizens believe that they should be able to hold their elected members of parliament to, to account, uh, the transparency of what uh, the governments are doing will also flow back to their citizenship. And I, I think it should create a healthier world. And in that world, what will your role as a business person be? I mean, will you, have, will you be reaping massive rewards for the work that you're doing now? Or how, how will that work? Yeah, when I decided to throw my hat in and support Craig's vision, it was 50% um, sort of my natural instinct to get involved in creating another industry. I was there right at the start, creating the online gaming industry. So I've, I've been there creating a new industry before, so I was, that was an appealing concept to me. Uh, of course, as a businessman, I'm always interested in proving that, my, that I'm right about things, and, and the only way that you do that in business is by having your businesses make money. So that's an element of it, but I'd already been successful. I'm not doing this completely for money or any of these other things. I legitimately wanted to uh, get involved with a project that would be a legacy project for me. 
which would actually have lasting impact on the world, improve the world, make the world a better place. And so I'm driven by all these factors together, and I, I, you know, it depends on how I feel in any time in the day, which one's the most important one. Right. Um, I went to this uh, blockchain conference last week, and there's a hell of a lot of activity going on in relation to blockchain, but quite a lot of it with the big companies and consultancies and stuff on private blockchains. Correct. And I talked to some guys from the Boston Consulting Group, a big consulting organization, and they were kind of in favor of public blockchain, like Bitcoin SV, but they said that to get there, probably the industry is going to have to evolve through getting comfortable with private blockchains that big businesses like IBM own, and that that was the sort of transitional stage. What do you think of that? Um, I think that if you look at the history of Bitcoin over the last 10 years, and it's just human nature that people want to control things. I mean, Bitcoin, as it was originally developed, is Bitcoin SV. But it's been hijacked multiple times with SegWit, first to the SegWit core direction, and then the ABC alphabet soup guys took off in some other direction. Um, it's unfortunate because it stunted the growth. Bitcoin SV, where it is right now, is probably you know five, three to five years stunted in its growth from where it could be, and that created the opportunity for all this other stuff, nonsense like the Ethereum platform, which doesn't work and has probably no intention of working because they're so happily scamming everybody with all these ICO scams. But uh, that created the opportunity for the existing tech giants to, to dip a toe into this water and start uh, selling what I believe is a little bit of uh, nonsense in that uh, private blockchains are the way to go in the future. I'm old enough to remember when, when Microsoft spent $100 million trying to invent a competitor for the internet, and we don't know how that ended up because people just simply didn't want that. Well, exactly. It, it is a little bit like that AOL prodigy... CompuServe time. And, and Microsoft had their own version of it the, as well. The walled garden. Yeah, the walled garden. Yeah, Microsoft did it as well, took a run at that yeah, concept yeah. as well. But, but, but in a way, you might argue that that was what made people um, confident enough to have the, the, the wild, outside, uncontrolled internet. Yeah, I think if it wouldn't have been stunted by these people trying to divert and get control of Bitcoin for themselves, Bitcoin would have gotten enough market dominance that it would have shown itself that way. So I don't think that that was necessary. Uh, I think because of the hijackings that have gotten on, it's created an opportunity for the private uh, blockchains. And, and most likely what's going to happen now is they're going to exist in parallel for a while and, and maybe for a long, long time where some people w would prefer to have... a private. Let's, let's be honest. A private blockchain is a database. That's all it is. Yep. Controlled by somebody that you think you trust. So there's nothing new there. So they're, just, they're just they're using fancy terms to layer in on top of something that's basically just a big distributed database. Uh, the only innovation here is, is the fact that you can do it in a public fashion now and in a trustless environment where you don't have to trust the people that you're doing business with. That's the real innovation here. So private blockchains are not competitors to public blockchains. They're completely different. And they've got different use cases. Uh, but they will have their spot now for a period of time because they were given that opportunity by the hijackings that happened with Bitcoin Core and the alphabet. But, but I mean, it must be, isn't it slightly encouraging to you to hear, you know, for instance, this thing with Walmart as now every single lettuce you buy in Walmart apparently can be traced back to its origins through some blockchain solution. I mean, that is a big scale demonstration that the technology is worth working, working out, isn't yes. it? Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, of course, there's good things and bad things. I, I just think that uh, there's going to be an opportunity. There's certain business models that, that people just will look at these private blockchains and say, well, why do we need that? I mean, one of the things we like about public blockchains is we don't have to deal with the big banks. Well, there's not much difference between a big bank and a big tech company from right. the perspective of those people that have that attitude. Yeah. So I, I think there's going to be definitely a spot for public blockchains. And the only one that works today is the original Bitcoin. It was born an adult, as Dr. Wright says. When he put it out there, the economic model, of course, the, the code's all been changed and, and improved, but the economic model that the code enforces has, has stayed the same in Bitcoin SV, and that's why it works. Um, so the, the emphasis for Bitcoin SV is on scaling. That's its unique... And stability. And stability. Yeah, the platform uh, but, doesn't change. It, it's the internet model. Right, yeah. And the internet-based pro, uh, protocol doesn't change either. When you are looking forward to all these transactions that are going to make use of the scaling potential of BSV, what kind of transactions do you see being the sort of earliest kind that are going to be producing large volumes? I think what's going to really take Bitcoin SV to the next level is unique applications like the ones that we're announcing and supporting, uh, where you can actually start running your business because without scaling, of course, you can't do anything. Let's be honest. The second you're successful on a platform that doesn't scale, the first thing that happens is transaction volume goes up. Well, if the platform doesn't scale, you're dead there. So you need it to scale before you, wait, you spend the money on any, putting anything in there. So from, from our perspective, what's going to drive Bitcoin SV is unique business models that need scaling. So that means the only solution is Bitcoin SV. Then they're going to go on there, and they're going to be able to offer this service out there that would only work on a scaling blockchain with low transaction fees, microtransactions, money buttons, an example, yep. where they can now you know, charge fractions of a cent or, or a percentage of a cent even to read some content on the Internet. And are you confident that that is going to take off? Uh, well, it doesn't have to be that. But, well, but something like that where people that, are... The concept that you're going to be able to sell digital, put, put a value on digital concept that's really, really low, hmm. that's definitely going to take off. Absolutely. And when you look at the Internet of, of Things, there's another uh, area that uh, people are predicting is going to be massive in the future. Where you've got like machines, basically, that are owned by people, or corporations that are owned by people, sort of... The value flows back to people at the end of the day, but with the, the uh, with Bitcoin SV's ability to create smart money, you can actually create smart contracts between these machines, and the machines can merely have commerce between them, you know, without any uh, humans involved. And of course, the value will accrue to the, whoever owns them. But you can see in that in that case, the lower that you can have transactions, lower value transactions you can have, the more applications you've got in the Internet, in the internet of Things. And we're, we haven't even started in that down that road yet because nobody's been able to scale a blockchain because they keep kneecapping it for these other plans that they've got to transfer value away from miners to themselves in BTC's case or worrying about dark, Darknet and Alphabet Soup, uh, ABC's case. So, you know, I think there's going to be also a, a whole range of different business models that people like me can't even think of that are going to come up once people realize they can do massive transactions without much uh, cost. Can we go back to the beginning of your story to put all this in context sure. a bit? Now, you were born 
uh, on a farm in Saskatchewan. Pig farm, yeah. In the middle, I, well, I, I won't be rude and call it the middle of nowhere, but... It was the middle of nowhere. It absolutely <laughs> was, yeah. It was a long way from any place, uh, yeah. Was that a happy, happy start to your life? Absolutely. I mean, honestly, kids don't really know anything else about the world. Uh, I must confess, I've gone back there since, and it is a lot quieter than I could stand right now, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but when I was growing up there, it was great. I mean, we lived on a farm. There was farm animals and wild cats and, you know, all the stuff kids would love. So, yeah, I had a good childhood. I enjoyed it. And, of course, in a farm, there's no rules on a farm, basically, because your parents are the only rules. But other than that, you can run around and do whatever you want. But it's funny that you, you you've sort of seemed to have moved away from the natural world into this very sort of kind of abstract world of computers <laughs> and things. <laughs> yeah, but not, not entirely. I mean, I'm working on a resort project that's going to be a wellness resort and community in Antigua, sort of getting back to, you know, something much simpler, similar to where I came from. Better weather, though, <laughs> in the Caribbean. <laughs> um, in, in the Daily Record, when they said you were sponsoring Air United, the headline is... The billionaire son of a drug-smuggling pig farmer who plans to sink some of his money into Air United. Yeah. I mean, what was all that about? <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. My dad was a, an aviation consultant when I was uh, in university, and he gave some advice to people to land on bush strips. He's a bush pilot, and he did give some advice to people, and he wasn't involved in it, but he was recorded on the phone giving them advice, and I guess that makes you a conspirator. But it was just marijuana, which now, by the way, is 100% legal in... Canada, where I'm from, <laughs> and in Antigua, where I now live. So uh, He was I ahead of his he, time. I, yeah, I guess you could call him a pioneer. <laughs> but, he, but did he have to go to prison for that? Yes, but uh, in Canada, that's not a big deal. You only have to do one-sixth of your uh, sentence, and because he was uh, uh, considered uh, like white-collar-style crime, it was just a, um, what they call, uh, I don't know, it, it was an honor system. Right. It didn't have a fence. I, I would imagine that Canadian prisons are rather comfortable and the, pleasant, well, actually. Civilized, yeah. Yeah, he, the, where he was didn't have a fence and it had a golf course. So <laughs> he was there for 12 months, so it wasn't really that big a deal. So you, when you left home, studied, and then you became an internet entrepreneur. At really the beginning of the days of the internet business opportunities, I think, 92 or something. And from what I was reading, you... You were sort of looking around for a business that you could succeed in on the internet. Is that right? Just a little bit more history. I actually, out of university, started a company called HQ Vancouver, which was a packaged office business, technically, but I actually created it as a tech incubator. And where I started it was in a building called Harbor Center in Vancouver, and Downstairs in the, in the basement was the router for the original university backbone, which is a predecessor in Canada to the internet. And I strung some high uh, high speed, uh, some fiber optic, high speed fiber optic cable down and connected to that router myself. So I was the first person in the city of Vancouver to do that. So I was the one that pioneered uh, desktop high speed internet in the city of Vancouver. And so I got all the internet startups at the right at the earliest stage, and that's where I got exposed to all this stuff. And uh, Cisco Systems opened up their Western Canada office out of my office for that reason. And they actually, I took a course off them, their salesman course, but nonetheless, it, would, it trained me on internet working. And uh, so I decided that I was going to, you know, make that my uh, future. So, so were you quite 
uh, quite good at the whole technical side of it. Well, I'm fairly technical. I mean, my undergraduate degree is in sciences, general sciences, but uh, yeah, and and my my uh, ink tech incubator. I mean, I was a hands-on technician, putting people's phones and 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 internet jacks and everything in. I was doing it myself to save money. So yeah, fairly technical. I'm a lot less technical now actually because I have everybody doing everything for me. Well, also technology does things for itself in a way that it, it didn't it used to. Changes a lot, so yeah, you're yeah. not really staying in the weeds. Uh, yeah. But so you eventually sort of decided that online gambling would would be a good area to look yeah, at. Yeah, I looked at a lot of things, and uh, you know, I knew I was going to have to raise some money because I didn't have enough money to fund a whole startup myself. So and it was such early days that when I was talking to people about it, if, you know, if I'd go in to try and pitch a concept, and it wasn't the first thing I was involved in. I actually started a company with a group of other engineers called Telescape, which was basically Skype. But years before Skype came out, hmm. and we were, we were successfully able to send uh, still pictures and sound. But I mean, back then, you had to upgrade your machines. There was no sound cards on machines, no mics, none of that stuff. So you were, you were sort of in a, in a way... Yeah, it was too, too, too it soon was with too that. Too early. Yeah. yeah. But one of the things I noticed is when I was going in to try and pitch on these business ideas had for, I had for on the internet, I would spend my whole time explaining to people what the internet was. Right. And I could barely get around to talking about my business model. So then I said, well, I, I read an article about a guy that was doing sports betting. Uh, Ron Sackle was the guy's name in, um, uh, out of the Dominican Republic. I eventually became friends with the guy. Actually, I'm still friends with him. He lives in Costa Rica. But uh, he was doing phone-in sports betting. And that's when the light bulb went off in my head. That, hey, why don't I do this over the internet? Mm -hmm. Sports betting over the internet. It just seems like a natural thing. And one of the things I realized is that from my earlier pitches and other sort of business models that I'd come up with is that it would be a lot easier to explain why gambling is going to make money than some of these other things where people would be, well, how's that going to make money? Right. So I just thought, let's go with sports betting. I love sports anyways, and I actually used to bet on sports with uh, my friends for years because I'm a big sports guy. So I mean, it's funny because in a way, looking at the, the sort of things that you were sorting out there, it was technology, money, and presumably regulation to some extent as well. Sort of almost the same mix of things that you're dealing with now, I guess, in a way. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between what I did in gaming and what I'm doing right now. And I'm in sort of at the earliest stages of the industry. So it's industry building. It's dealing with the fact that people don't understand how existing laws apply to this new thing. There's a ton of similarities. I mean, have you ever thought of starting a nice, simple business? like? No, (laughs) that would be very boring. I mean, I'll be very candid that one of the reasons why I decided to come back in and and step out of retirement and get involved in this whole crypto space the way I have uh, is because I love the energy of being there when all the Wild West side of the industry being born is in. And uh, what I found with gaming is once it sort of matured and everyone knew what the rules were and then it became all about big companies and big organizations, I actually didn't really fit in there anymore. So I sort of still am interested in that because I have my roots there, but I'm having way more fun over here now. <laughs> I mean, in a way, it's the creative phase of a industry, I guess. And the it? challenge, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, now this is a personal question. Um, 2006, Forbes magazine yeah. said that you're worth at least a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and then in The Guardian in 2011, you said, there's no way I'm worth a billion now, but I'll be a billionaire for the rest of my life because of that article. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, well, that's true. That quote's absolutely true. I mean, that's I'll, still I'll true never, today. Or well, but that statement's true. The statement's I, I will true. Yes. Be a billionaire in the eyes of everybody forever. Uh, honestly, it's really difficult to do valuations to, to tell what you're worth, especially if you're investing in private companies and and you don't know. You know, early stage private companies where a lot of the value is is in some kind of future concept. So, I think I'm going to wait a few years before I do a, some kind of an appraisal of what I'm really worth. Right. <laughs> but right now, I'm actually just having too much fun to worry about it, honestly. You've you, you've always been quite a sort of high profile leader of your business. One thing that really caught my eye was the when you were uh, publicizing your gaming business, Bodog, with a TV show, I think it was, called Bodog Fight. Yeah, and it, MMA show, yeah. Live pay-per-view, 2007 finale in St. Petersburg, attended by Vladimir Putin. Yes. Is that he, right? He took myself and all the fighters out for dinner that night at one of the palaces, and he sat across from me, and him and Berlusconi and Jean-Claude Van Damme, who was a guest of theirs. And I actually ended up hanging out with Jean-Claude Van Damme for three days, in strip bars and whatnot in St. Petersburg. So it's quite an experience, yeah. Did Vladimir Putin come to the strip bars at all? He did not. I, in fact, he doesn't drink in public. I have no idea if he drinks uh, you know, when he's alone, but uh, he, at the dinner that he hosted for us at this palace, uh, he drank tea. But how did he come to be there? He likes uh, martial arts. He's a karate, oh, right. yeah, karate guy himself. And uh, Fedor Milinenko was the big Russian fighter that we had on the card. And uh, he just... Wanted to see it. Did you have a nice dinner with him? And, and the reason he invited us out is because Fedor won. <laughs> and he was, that was the sort of like the uh, right. big, big fight of the night, and Fedor beat the American challenger, and uh, so uh, Putin was happy about that, and he invited us all out. Well, yeah, that was good news for you as well, then, I guess. It was fun, yeah. <laughs> it didn't have any impact on my businesses, but it was, it was fun. And pe- people always sort of go like this when I tell them I went for dinner with Putin one time, so it's kind of, kind of fun thing to toss into a conversation. You, you sort of have acknowledged the influence of Richard Branson in the way that you run your businesses. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I was an early fan of the way he used himself to market his brands. Yeah. I, uh, I studied him a bit when I was younger, yeah. Right. I haven't met him yet, though, but maybe one Oh, really? Yeah. But you've got, a lot of, you've got a lot in common with him, in a way, haven't you? The, the, the Caribbean island. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, that. And, well, and, you, and just a general high profile. Yeah, he likes adventure, too. And, and likes uh, parties and things, I think. I'm pretty sure that I go a little harder than him yeah, in that exactly. category. I think you might beat him on that one. <laughs> yep. So for people who don't know you and read about stuff in the media, you've said the lifestyle I sell is about 80% reality of what I live. Is that Back you... then, that was true. Yeah, time catches up with all of us, though. I spent a lot more time... Uh, you know, eating healthy these days than I used to back when I made that statement. But the image hasn't changed. Well, I still love a good party. I mean, let's be honest. I honestly think everybody loves a good party, or at least the majority of people. I think a lot of people pretend they don't, but, uh, you know, reality is most <laughs> well, people... Well, you're not telling me you're slowing down. Uh, I'm forcing myself to slow down might be a better way to explain it, because I actually am very health conscious now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so, yeah, you mentioned that in 2006, you sort of announced that you'd retired. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, but you were only 45 years old. Yeah, there's but, nothing better than retiring early. You can really do a lot of stuff. This really was the sort of the self-made billionaire dream of, you know, yeah. I've made my money, now I can do what the hell I like. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. the next two years after that, after I retired in my mid-40s, were the best two years of my life. I don't remember a thing, but they were the best two <laughs> years of my life. <laughs> but... 
But so what went wrong? <laughs> I missed boredom. I mean, when you're used to being out there in, in you know, the battle of, you know, creating an industry, which is what I was doing with the gaming industry, I missed it. And so I came back and I sort of putted around and did a few things and I didn't really find something that got my attention until this whole uh, Bit- Bitcoin Game of Thrones war thing sort of presented itself to me and I just felt yeah. like I was right back in my element again. This really is act two, isn't it? It is. It feels the same to me. Yeah, yeah. Amazingly. Um, and it was really meeting Craig that galvanized well, you into it. Absolutely. I mean, Stefan introduced us in around June 2015 and uh, just one conversation with Craig it just connected the dots because I was already tracking the space and I thought it was like... You know, yeah, but you were already amazing. investing in... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was an early investor in a company. But I didn't really jump in deep because I didn't really understand it and you know, and I was looking at it and you know, possibly I should have. Uh, but Craig really sort of connected the dots in my brain about where how, how it all worked. And from then on, you know, I've, it's kind of like... But, all in. And then you sort of helped Craig move himself to London and set up operations here? Not so. I mean, I, I, he did a lot of the stuff himself, and you know, I helped where I could, but uh, he, he had a number of other people that he, he was working with that was, were helping him, possibly people that uh, don't like the limelight, so I'm, I'm sure that'll all come out in the, the, when the, the, the book and movie comes out later. But, you know, he's got other backers. I mean... Uh, people get confused when they look at the way he's being trolled on the internet and they assume that the community is against him. But I would argue that the majority of the community supports him and what he's doing, and certainly all the smart people do. And anybody that's got a, 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 a problem that a public blockchain would solve have to support him because the only one that scales is the one that, he's, that he invented and he's uh, advancing now. I mean, one thing that I genuinely don't understand and maybe you could tell me what you think, is that when in 2016 he did this demonstration for the media yeah. that was going to prove that he was Satoshi, a lot of, some people who knew about it believed that he had done, but a lot of people said, no, that's not what you'd have to do to prove it, but there's a very simple way that you could, yeah, and he no. hasn't done that. Well, no, that's bunk coming from... Let, let, let's go back to the basics of what's going on here. There's a bunch of people that have hijacked what he created. They've got all these scams running. BTC is a scam of sorts as well because, I mean, basically, they're, it, it doesn't work for what it's intended to be. Now they've got this digital gold concept and stuff. But there's just scams on top of scams. So they've been created in this industry. And all these people that are profiting from these scams. It's like, it's like if the Catholic Church... If Jesus all of a sudden showed up and, and the Catholic Church had to explain why they're all rich... <laughs> right? right. That, that's, that's why these people are all terrified of Craig proving that he's the guy that invented Bitcoin is, and was the person. But you're not him. suggesting he's Jesus. No. Uh, but that's a good analogy because these people have created a religion around their, their uh, plans for these different platforms because the technology doesn't work. So they're selling these, right. these concepts. Which like is, strange it's, little it's, sects it's of the like, religion. It's like religion. Yeah. But then some of your supporters talk about being true believers as well. Uh, well, honestly, I haven't ever heard anybody say anything like that to me. I mean, the people that I work with are believers in the logic, the economics, and the technology. Actually, I got that from a tweet this morning. And then. the facts. Well, I mean, there's all sorts out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to dis- dissuade people from supporting Craig for whatever reason, because Craig is the only one that knows what he's doing in this space, that, as I can see it. Mm. Uh, however, the people that I work with 
are all supporting him because of facts. But, but just going back to this proof thing. Mm. But, well, well, let me just jump in there. Yeah. I mean, um, the fact of the matter is, is what, they, what they're talking about is they want Craig to do a, a, a proof that he's got the, the Genesis blocks. But in fact, that's not proof. That just proves that you've got the keys. And I'll give you a, a good analogy for that. I, I mean, if someone builds a house and then somebody else has a, has a key that opens the front door, that key doesn't prove they built the house. And that's, sure. that's the logic that they're trying to apply to Craig. And it really doesn't matter, but they've already got the answer set up. If Craig does that, then they're going to say that he stole the keys. I mean, this is all about them fighting every opportunity. No matter what Craig does, they're going to fight it. So the only way now that they guys have carried this on for so long, and Craig didn't want to come out. He wanted to be in, in just let this thing go out and improve the world, but it's been hijacked. So he's actually forced out... And then, of course, when he starts stepping forward and, and saying things that are logical, he's being trolled by all these people that have all these scams going. And I always say on my social media that, how do you know if someone's got a scam going? They're attacking Craig. <laughs> That's the first clue right there. But, uh, you know, the only way to really prove is for somebody to look at the sole evidence of Craig's time inventing this stuff. And it's got to be in front of an arbiter, someone that's trusted. So that's why Craig has picked a few selective people that are calling him a fraud. He's got, he's got a, cases launched already. He's going to be in front of a judge here in the UK, and he's going to lay out all the evidence. And he is confident that he's, and I am confident too with what I've seen of the, of the evidence, that he's going to be able to get a judge that's going to be able to rule that he's actually the creator of Bitcoin. And I, I'm, I believe that he's also going to be pushing for that same judge to review what Bitcoin is, and to also rule on what Bitcoin is, because I think that uh, it's a consumer fraud of some sort for all these exchanges all over the world to be telling people that this is Bitcoin and letting these, these tokens use the Bitcoin name when the technology is not Bitcoin anymore. It's a type of consumer fraud. And I think that that needs to be fixed as well. And this court case that's going forward is also going to go to that. So expect a whole bunch of attacks on Craig over this. In fact, the delisting attack that just happened. Well, that's what that's about. They're terrified of Craig and him being able to prove who he is and being able to prove that Bitcoin SV is the only Bitcoin. I mean, I can see exactly the logic in what you're explaining, but you could have... You could have gone the other way of sort of embracing people and saying, uh, uh, sort of trying to, trying to be more popular, I suppose, and just saying, well, everyone can do their own thing. We believe in what we're doing and we think it's going to succeed. But you, you've, you've decided to sort of tackle this thing no, head on. No, 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 no. Um, I think there was an opportunity for what you're saying years ago. It's gone way too far for that. Now, the only, the only way forward is for Craig to prove in court. That's the only way forward. These people don't care that are attacking him. They don't care. That he, they know he's Satoshi already. Let's be honest about that. So no amount of proof is going to stop that. And in fact, it, just so you know, you're clear on this, this court case and this proof is not aimed at convincing these people attacking him. They're completely irrelevant. This is all about going over their heads, getting them out of the way, and Craig, with this court decision, talking directly to the people that matters. Mainstream media, business and technical, governments, and enterprise and startup decision makers. Those are the only people important here. And what's the sort of time scale for that, do you think? Uh, it's quite likely that this will be all, that we'll have a decision before the end of the year.
And if that all works out, what will the sort of landscape that you find yourself in be like afterwards, do you think? Well, I hope that Craig gets some peace. I mean, he's been relentlessly trolled for years now. It's just unbelievable, the stuff. I, I read somewhere that somebody said that you could look up on the Internet, Craig is a fraud, and you'll get six million hits. Now, let me just ask you one question. Who spends that much energy trying to prove somebody, you know, convince the world that somebody's a fraud? If that person isn't actually telling the truth, <laughs> that's pretty bizarre, don't you think? Um, I mean, he, 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 he has engaged in the battle quite happily himself, of course. Well, that's actually a mistake that he made, though. And nobody that's working with Craig wanted Craig to be doing that. That's, that's a Craig thing. That was a mistake. Uh, everybody involved in what we're doing is very happy that Craig is retired from social media and now only posts academic pieces up online and to you know, peer reviews and, and you know, universities and whatnot, and he's sort of gone back to a more academic role. And I think that's a big improvement, and I'm very happy about that personally. So, Calvin, you, you've obviously put a lot of money into supporting yeah. Bitcoin SV. Have you bet the farm on this business? No, I definitely have not. I, I hedge my bets, which means I've got things, uh, a lot of my investments could be ported over to another technology if, if it proves itself to be successful. Um, and I don't invest only in this sector even. But the reality is it's impossible from where I sit to see any other alternative but for Bitcoin SV becoming the dominant public blockchain for one simple reason. It's the only one that scales. And you cannot become dominant if you don't scale. And if you can scale and you can do everything else, smart contracts, tokens, everything, we've got the internet model again. There is no need in the world for there to be two token platforms. Just like there's no need for two internets. So it's going to be winner take all. And right now, the only one that's got a roadmap to victory is Bitcoin, the original Bitcoin, as it was originally born and as it exists today with Bitcoin SV. Now, you live in Antigua now. I certainly do. And you are involved in a lot of charity work. Yes. Which it doesn't doesn't quite go along with the hard hard living <laughs> image, but but you you support animal welfare, yes. education, yeah. helping the poor and stuff. I mean, yeah, and I, I plan to do a lot more of it. I actually see myself ending up once I get through this battle, uh, mostly doing philanthropy. I, I think that's where I'll be spending most of my time. What, what areas are you particularly sort of uh, motivated around? Well, anything Antiguan, because I really, really like Antiguan. It's a small country, so I, I get a lot of traction with for a small amount of money. I can actually have impact there. Uh, but I, I really favor things to do with education, you know, things helping people help themselves. Uh, anything to do with the environment. Honestly, environment, uh, what we're doing to the planet is depressing. <laughs> I, to the point where you almost lose hope that, that we're, we're, as a species, we're smart enough to actually survive. Our well, own. But Bitcoin is blamed for some of that, of course. Well, inaccurately, though. Uh, the reality is, if you look at the actual studies, the banking system spends, if you factor in everything, including the, the cost uh, to cut the trees down to create the paper for the money, the, the uh, oil that goes into creating the plastic money that's being done, the electricity for all the banks and everything, uh, Bitcoin, it would be a lot cheaper. And the other thing that I would add is that uh, because Bitcoin fundamentally is, uh, is secured by a, a gamification of the mining business uh, and it's com competition-based, at the end of the day, 
a significant amount of that is going to be energy cost. And that means that there is a huge incentive built into Bitcoin for energy costs to approach zero. So I think that Bitcoin may end up being a driver to get us off of the oil addiction. Right, because it'll be in people's interest to get cheaper energy. Get cheaper, and that yeah. means renewables eventually. Now, the, the next big event in the CoinGeek calendar is the Toronto conference. Absolutely. Is that going to be good? Yes. Uh, it's going to be where scaling comes out of the shadows and people start to understand. And it's been put, pushed into the shadows. It was never there intentionally. It was pushed into the shadows because the core people started it because they wanted to come up with an argument not to scale because scaling interfered with their objective, which was to use side chains to transfer value away from the miners or to the developers and centralize everything and get back to the banking model with them in, in the banking uh, central banking role. So they created all this nonsense about scaling, but Bitcoin scaled right as it was born. That was all a lie. And so now that uh, Bitcoin SV exists and scaling is central to the roadmap, it's time for us to start talking about it publicly. And so this conference is going to be dedicated to scaling. And the world leaders in scaling blockchains will all be there. It, it's, it's going to be like Woodstock, you know. You're going to be able to say, hey, yeah, I was there. The CoinGeek Scaling Conference. And maybe a bit of a party afterwards? There will be a party, Caribbean themed, in honor of uh, my new home. That should be fun. Well, still a few tickets left, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much indeed, Calvin. Thank Cheers. you. Coin Deep Conversations. That's all, folks. <laughs>